0: Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome
1: to this. uh, Okay. Oh, welcome Welcome to the Building Science to the Building Science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor
0: to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Hey everyone, just a quick note on the episode you're about to hear. It's a little bit different than what we normally get into, but it's a whole lot of fun. The unfortunate reality is that we had some technical difficulties with the recording uh, towards the end of the episode and had to resort to Zoom audio. It's definitely not the end of the world, but you'll notice a difference, so just a heads up now. Well, I guess sit back, relax, and enjoy.
1: Okay, hello and welcome everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Erwin, here as typical with my sidekick and friend Miguel. Say hello Miguel. Hello Miguel. All right as usual profound. So today I am thrilled. I am super excited and actually a little nervous. I have uh, Joe Stebrick and Betsy Pettit on the line here and we are going to be doing a, a little bit of an oddball thing. We're going to be having a podcast. The Building Science Podcast is going to be talking about a building science conference today. First time for that. And the second one is that undoubtedly these two individuals are are something like the first family of building science, certainly here in the U.S., although Joe, um, you're from Canada. Uh, and you guys, your contributions have been um, so broad and deep, it can't be overstated. But So, by way of introduction, I'll tell you that Joe Stiebrick and Betsy Pettit are, uh, are a really good example of the power of being intelligent humans. Our intelligence is clear, it helps us solve problems, but our humanness, our caring, our ability to connect and um, engage and share ideas and create community. That's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. And specifically, we're talking about this event that is known as the Westford Symposium on Building Science. And we're going to be talking somewhat about its origin stories and some of the exciting moments along the years. And um, describing Westford is, is complicated, right? There's so many facets to it. It's, it's, um, It's sort of a revered annual pilgrimage for many people, and it's known as Summer Camp. And um, Building Science Summer Camp is an incredible blend of a technical conference, a family reunion, a feast, a music festival, and and maybe a revival all at once. (laughs) A heck of a party. Um, So we're gonna try to talk about that. And with that as a brief introduction, I will start with you, Betsy, Um, This Betsy Pettit of Building Science Corporation. She's at home today with her husband, Joe Stebrick. So Betsy, how did you come to be on this podcast, this culmination of your career? No, sorry, bad joke.
2: (laughs) It might be the culmination. Well, So my background is I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in architecture and I did a lot of work for uh, a lot of architecture firms and then went to work for our state public housing agency. And in the course of doing that work, I found out that a lot of the work that we were doing to make buildings energy efficient was also causing buildings to fail, grow mold, and things like that. So I went to Joe's classes a couple times, and uh, we met and it seemed like it was a great idea. He needed to be in the United States so that he could uh, broadcast his message to more people. And I was very much interested in understanding how architecture and building science and building physics related to each other. And so that's how we met, and uh, that's how we started the company. And uh, right not too much after that, probably four years after starting the company, Joe decided we were going to have some classes and I think it's probably Joe will talk about that. Okay. Well, let me
1: just interject something here. So, when you said you thought it was a good idea that and Joe needed to come to the United States, are you saying that like, Joe married you to get his green card so he could come to the U.S.?
2: <laughs> no.
3: UL? Oh, okay. No. I'm
2: glad I misunderstood that. <laughs>
3: I was I was I was legal without Betsy and uh uh made a point that uh I married her because I loved her not because I needed to be legal. I was legal
1: before I met Betsy. Okay, let's I'm glad we got that emphatically clear. <laughs> so that was the voice of Joe Stebrick, um Burek, for those of you who pronounce phonetically. Joe is a PhD and a PE and uh Father of building science. That's so Joe, how did you uh, how did you get started in building science? Let's start. Let's take that one. Well, I screwed up as a builder.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was uh, I was building houses. My father was a home builder. I was building houses, uh, custom homes, and got into energy efficiency in, in, in 19 my God 19, 1978 79. Oh wow! Uh, and we didn't. Most people didn't know much about it, especially the people doing the houses. Right. And so, so I went from uh, one building fiasco to another. I thought I was uh, smart and uh, didn't didn't know, and I kept making mistakes. I mean, they didn't seem like mistakes at the time, but um, I learned a great deal about how not to do stuff. I got very good at fixing <laughs> and, and repairing, and and. I did thirty of them, and then uh, interest rates went to almost what twenty percent in nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty, and a uh, uh, great idea to go back for <laughs> a higher degree. So I moved into you know mom's basement, so to speak, and and uh, I, I I decided to learn from people who who knew stuff. So I I ran into. Uh, John Timisk and, 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 and Gus Hanegard. I I ran into them and uh, I started arguing with Gus Hanegard. Are you are you kidding me? I was a twenty-five, twenty six year old kid arguing with the legend and he he kinda of pulled his no gloves, glasses down his nose and he kinda of looked at me and said, Young man, I Think you need to go back and relearn your high school physics before you get out and play with in the real world. Oh my goodness! And I want, and I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to beat the crap out of <laughs> this old guy. Put his hand on my shoulder. That was John Timisk and uh, we're at a home builders conference, and and he got me out into the hall, and he said. Uh, let me buy you a drink. And up to his room he introduced me to Single Mull Scotch. Oh, there we he go. He gave me he gave me uh Handegore's book and he says, you know, Gus is kind of abrupt, but he has a point there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got into Bill I mean I, I ended up, you know, confronting the two legends and uh my, one of the greatest moments in my career was Six years later, I wrote a, I wrote a paper that got accepted at the CIBW40 conference in, in Victoria, British Columbia. It was an international conference, and my paper was representing Canada, and it was called Insulation Induced Paint and Siding Failures. I came up and said, well, you know, you insulate the walls, sign siding is going to stay wet, and the paint's going to fall off. You know, duh. Nobody ever thought of that. And uh, at the end of the presentation, you know, Temus grabs me and he invites me back to the room and there's Handigord with Scotch and he says, well, young Joseph, congratulations on learning your high school physics. <laughs> so I started, I started crying and, and then this other, this other old, old guy wanders by. He looks like Yoda. I swear, Yoda. Yoda, and and it was, it was you know Don Inesco, the wizard, uh, wizard of wood, and, and he says, doesn't John said that you know you 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 don't know much about wood? Is that a single mod you've got in your hand? <laughs> <laughs> and so I met Don Inesco, um John Timmis, and Gus because I didn't know what the hell I was doing.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> And so I think that actually kind of ties into the theme here. It sounded like you started at a very early point in your career to really connect to the wisdom of others, the wisdom of uh, experience and having gone around. But that, but Betsy, you alluded to the fact that Building Science Summer Camp, I actually don't know the origin story, uh, that it was a training, you said?
2: Yes. And so actually what Joe was just talking about kind of relates to this, because so at the time, we probably had 15 employees, and uh, we said, well, we should really have, you know, a, a class for our, all our employees um, at least once a year to, you know, a continuing ed class or whatever. And Joe invited uh, Gus oh my goodness! to give the first class. And once he invited Gus, and Gus already had a... Kind of a notebook of of a building science fundamentals class um, that he had created for Vancouver right no he
3: hadn't he, he just wanted to teach a class
2: but no, but he had a document
3: right but he oh,
2: okay
3: he, he, so there was okay. no he just put it together because that's what he did and and I said, you know, what would it take for you to you know tell us everything you know? in three days and he said well I can't tell you everything I know in three days but I can tell you everything I think you people need to know in three days and you know what I said what are you going to charge and and he gave me a a number and I said done right and I think it was I don't know five or six thousand dollars or seven thousand dollars in 1996 1997 and we we had five employees or five of us and i said look you know if i get another 5 6 people each kicking in 500 bucks that'll cover his fee. so you know five of us i sent out um, 10 letters hoping to get five more people and i got 20 responses with checks wow it was incredible i was like okay so you know the first summer camp was 25 people and the first morning i Told everybody, I said, Look, we were just wanting to to break even. Um, You know, I'm not not supposed to make money. Um, Why don't I give you back half of your fees? And somebody from the audience says, Are you crazy? Do you have any idea how difficult it was to get the money from our company? (laughs) Spend it on food and booze. And everybody yelled, Yeah food and booze, (laughs) food and booze alright so fine so at at noon, well the first day it was going to be for three days I went out and I bought beer and wine and burgers and hot dogs and stupid stuff and I had a a single grill in the backyard and so everybody comes to to the house and um, you know I'm grilling stuff and whatever. And this guy comes up to me that I no idea. And he says, you're really bad at this. You're pathetic. You're burning the burgers. <laughs> the hot dogs are falling into the dirt. You're drunk. You're an embarrassment. And I said, who the hell are you? Because <laughs> my name is Pete Kinsigley. Oh my goodness! And and I, and I said, you could you could do better than this? Does anybody can do better than this? So I said, here, and and I, I said, here's the cash. You're in charge. And so, next day, he leaves at noon, and he takes one guy with him. And I have no idea. Turns out he's today a, a famous industrial hygienist, but he worked as a shorter-order cook putting in himself through school. Jack Springston. So, Ken Sigley, who used to work at a restaurant, who's a famous restoration contractor, and Springton... Go out and buy insane stuff. So we all show up at our house again on, you know, on, on Tuesday night, and there's this insane spread of food. Like we, it was like, it was incredible, and people are just just stunned. So we're having a you know, good time and whatever. And so the next day is Wednesday. And, you know, Gus is wrapping up, and I'm saying, look, do we want to do this again next year? And everybody says, yeah, but Pete and Jack have got to cook.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so I said, all right. So I said, well, we had the most famous guy in North America, Handegard. Maybe I can get the most famous European. So I got this guy, Hugo Hands. So I, I send out letters only to the twenty people who showed up plus our fire hive and I got fifty responses. So year number two, we get Hugo Hands, fifty people, and and and, and, and 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 Pete Consigli and Jack Springton have to cook and we eat had just put in a second small kitchen, because it was all being done in our... Betsy's in my kitchen. So what was it? We went 50 people year two, and it was spectacular. Year three, we said, well, let's get some famous North Americans again, and I got uh, Carl Cash, one of the greatest roofing guys in history. Got... Um... Um... Uh, Tom Schwartz, who was at at that time, he had uh, solved the whole problem with the glass falling out of the Hancock Building, and Don Gatley. In ah. year three, we had a hundred hundred people. All right, and I'm like, whoa, doubling every year. So, but this is this is kind of, this is kind, of, kind of weird because year three, in the middle of day two, Tom Schwartz runs in and and says, interrupts everybody. Says, I can finally talk! I can finally talk! The gag order and the documents have been released. And we're saying, what are you talking about? Well, the Hancock Building, I can finally tell everybody what happened. Oh, wow. So the world premiere of what actually happened in the Hancock Building was actually at Summer Camp
1: 3. Wait, what year was Summer Camp 1, you guys? That was 98? 97? 96. The first one was ninety six.
2: Well, we have a kind of a thing against. I think it was ninety seven. Joe thinks it was ninety six, but we. But anyway, it was one of those years. <laughs> so, but but but
3: Gadley was on the other side, and 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 uh, so we had like a half a dozen people in the involved in the lawsuit. Finally, and I think Tom Thomas, y- we can talk about this, and it was this impromptu spectacular stuff of course now Thomas Schwartz looks just like Steve Martin oh my goodness and he's a very talented musician a pianist and so he would just show up at summer camp for years on a Monday night and sit in front of the piano and start playing without any you know without any introduction and and people are saying oh Are you, are you the guy thinking? Are you Steve Martin? He says, "Yeah, I'm the guy." So he was like, "How did Joe and Betsy get Steve Martin to play the piano at summer camp?"
1: It was was hysterical. Oh, that's great. So it started out with the training idea. Can we actually go back? Like, how did Building Science Corporation start? Like, was that you two, or was that already happening before you met? Joe started that.
3: Well, what happened was, is uh, I. Started it in in Chicago um, in 1989, and I'm a pathetic businessman, <laughs> and I met Betsy, and she's a, a spectacular businesswoman, and 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 she, we I, came, I, I we started we started dating, and I proposed and. I've been traveling and I came home one one evening and and there's papers everywhere there and Betsy's, you know, irritated and says, I can't believe, you know, she was run, you know, running like 40, 50, 50 people at the state.
2: Well, I, I think when I met him because I went to his class, his two-day building science class, and he was... I believe that the original Building Science Corporation was not operating anymore and he was just doing classes around the country at the time. So um, I went to one of his classes because I had to figure out why we had so many failed synthetic stucco buildings in our housing stock for the state public housing. And That was when I realized I needed to learn more about building science and building physics. And obviously, he was a fabulous teacher. So I think there was a lot of unsolved, unresolved business things from the previous Building Science Corporation. But it seemed like there was a lot of work for a new one. So we opened up a new Building Science Corporation, incorporated in Massachusetts, And then we started doing work, and a lot of that work at the time was for people who had mold problems. Um, And there was some very uh, public environmental, uh, indoor air quality problems too that were happening in Boston area at the time, Um, including a large building on one of the college campuses that everybody was getting sick in. And it turned out that the fireproofing on the ductwork was falling off because moisture was getting up into the plenum and then that fireproofing was being blown around the whole building. So solving that problem gave us a lot of visibility in the Boston area. And then we just started also being asked to look into a lot of other high-profile mold problems that were occurring in, in larger buildings.
1: Wow, so it started out with health, interesting. I didn't realize that. Yes. And the perfect wall idea, was that a moisture control idea originally? Well,
3: that that came from uh, Neil Hutchin. Basically, Neil Hutchin was Gus Handegord's mentor. So, Hutchin came up with the idea, um, taught Handegord, Handegord taught me. And so, all I did was take Hutchins black and white sketches and added color to it. <laughs> so, so, I keep telling everybody, I didn't come up with the perfect wall. I just phrased it as the perfect wall, but it, you know, comes to us from the 1950s, and and I, I popularized it, but it wasn't me. I, I and I would love to have come up with a, something that awesome and fundamental, but no. I mean, I, I just said, look, this is the way. Walls work. Well how do you know? Well I was taught by legends who and I listened. And and um that's kind of a lesson where what I what what summer camp has become is, yeah, we have formal presentations during the day, but the real um knowledge base and experience comes from the interactions um in the evening. And I, I was—I one of the people. Got, well, what's so special about summer camp compared to another conference? And I said, well, and early on, I said we needed to do two things. One is, I didn't want to have four or five different tracks where, you know, you have different presentations. I wanted everybody to hear the same thing, so I had to be in one room. And obviously, limited—we're limited to 500 because I can't put any more in the, in the room. But you have to, wanted to have everybody needed to hear the same thing. The second thing is, is that when you go to conferences, everybody breaks up and goes to dinners and restaurants and bars, and you get in groups of four or five. But if you're not, if you don't know the right group to hang out with, it kind of dissipates. Well, we're in Westford, Massachusetts. There's no place to go. Everybody comes to our backyard. So we have this huge group, and we're wandering around. And, 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 and then you got to tell about the
2: music. Well, I was just going to say, so partly what happened with the music, I think the story of the first time we had music at summer camp was Steve Sauer, and he was a writer for the IAQ magazine. And he came to cover summer camp. So this was probably the third or fourth or fifth summer camp, maybe. We had a piano in our living room, and everybody came in um, after eating, and we just kind of, everybody was sitting around and talking, building science, building physics, and other things that are important to people. And um, somebody said, oh, Steve was just kind of playing around on the piano. And somebody said, "Hey, do you know any Pink Floyd?" And I can, t-
3: I can tell you who said that.
2: that <laughs> I know that was
3: uh, Mike Humphrey. Mike Humphrey, and he was a big dog at David Weekly Holmes. Right. And he, he's a fan of Pink Floyd. And he says, "Do you know any Pink Floyd?" And you got to tell the story. I, I, to this day, I'm stunned. Go.
2: So, so Steve Sawyer proceeded to play the complete Dark Side of the Moon. Front oh. front and, and backside, back. oh the complete God. album <laughs> non <non-stop>, stop. Perfectly. <laughs> and everybody was just kind of in awe. Oh so. <laughs>
3: so a legend was born. So we had, you know, um Kinsigli and, 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 and Springston were in the restaurant business, but we're really in the IAQ business. Steve Sauer was in the IAQ business. And so we got our music and our food because of bad air quality.
2: (laughs) Well, then we also had the first, I think the first music part, um, I think it was the year after that, probably, people all started bringing their guitars. And um, everybody wanted to play music together. So we bought little shaky things and stuff like that. And, um, you know, little rhythm sticks and... Then we got this great person who could play drums. This was before Randy, and he he was just asking, "Well, do you have any Tupperware?" I said, "Yeah." So he goes, "Different sizes. I need different sizes." So you know, a... turned him over and started playing the Tupperware. And but just
3: this wasn't just any guy. He's the worldwide person in
2: charge of what was it, Honeywell? Honeywell marketing. this like marketing. Yeah. this is
3: like a CEO, VP. You know, thousands of people reporting to him, and he's playing Tupperware. And we says, okay. So Betsy, said, so Betsy went out the next day and bought a complete set of drums. Oh my We needed we needed drums because I mean, you got it's like these people were coming out of the woodwork. These are you know famous people who just also happen to have.
2: Food. Oh, but before we started, so Mark Rosenbaum and um, Andy Shapiro were giving a session. This was probably the fifth or sixth year. And they then brought these songbooks of traditional American music and spoons. And so people had spoons. We had the Tupperware. We had the guitars. We had uh, all, everybody's old bongo drums that didn't work anymore. No. Then the drums. Then the okay. drums. But the, the point about all that is is that people need to be creative Um, in order to learn things and to learn from each other. And so one of the things I believe is that people who are into math and physics and architecture also are into music and dancing and singing. And it's the, the, the things are kind of joint, um, skill sets to have. Miguel, of course, is a perfect example there, Um, so I wanna know how the food ties in.
1: Yeah, I'm interested too. The, the food has gone like incredible, like it's over the top. It's some of the best food I get every year.
3: The David, David Weekly folks came up because they had real serious mold problems in, in, in the early 90s, and the early 2000s. And we can
1: say that on this episode, right? You're fine with that.
3: Well, they don't have, they don't have them anymore, and, and, but they, all of Texas had issues. And, and uh, um, we were doing Carolina barbecue. 'cause one of our other major clients from Carolina. And and, and so the Texans said, Well that's not real barbecue. <laughs> and and so uh, they said, We we need we need a smoker and I said, What's that? They said, Yeah I gotta come to Houston. So I go, I go to Houston and there's this huge thing. And and they says, look, you know You need one. And so, you know, I I was five grand at the time, so I I bought it. And how do I get it from Houston to Westford? And, you know, I'm figuring, you know, I could, you know, my son and I, we could, you know, fly down, rent an SUV with a, whatchamacallit, and, and, you know, it's going to take two or three days. We'll drive it up and whatever. And Betsy looked at us and said, you know, you guys are just... Nuts, we kind of looked at her and said, You can do this it took her twenty five minutes
1: you got to tell the story what, what took you twenty five minutes
2: Oh, I just called a car transport company <laughs> and you know I said, what can you load this thing on, and how soon can you get it to Massachusetts
3: so you have to it was very this, easy this, this huge smoker shows up with Cadillacs and Pontiacs <laughs> and whatever in front of it, and they roll it out, and and then every year, um, the Mitchells, Tommy Mitchell, um, and and uh, what was his spot? Her father's name. Uh, they would John John Mitchell, and they would they would. So the Texans would start doing the barbecue, and and they've been doing it ever since. And so they come in and and do the smokers, and then, you know I, I was doing a whole bunch of. Louisiana stuff, and uh, especially with Katrina and the rebuild, I was doing it, uh, and I met the Louisiana folks, and they're saying, "Hey, we got good food down here," so we ended up with a, C- a Cajun night and a Texas night, and then a lobster, um, a lobster, uh, and then that's the, the New England night. And then, so all these people just started doing stuff, and it was, and then we needed, then we needed help. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's a little bit like stone soup, I think, a little bit. You know, you you say, look, we don't really know what we're doing, you know, but everybody, sure, tell us what you want to do. We'll, we'll just coordinate it.
0: You know, I'd be remiss not to say as a Texan that going the smoker route with good proper Texas barbecue is a good choice because anybody who puts coleslaw on a sandwich and calls it barbecue is definitely from the Carolinas. I'm suspicious of well, that. I, mean, I,
3: I didn't understand uh, Texas barbecue um, until it was explained to me. I'm of originally Czech heritage, and a lot of the Czechs and the Germans would basically end up in Texas immigrants, and they developed the technology. And I'm like, you're you're. You're 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 kidding. So you've got all these checks and colaches and between Houston and Dallas, and I'm thinking, of course I'm gonna like this, like this, and it's like you're kidding. And so anyway, so it, it it's been it's been spectacular. The, the smokers been spectacular. Cajun night is spectacular. <laughs> you know, steak and lobster day is. Spe- and then, well, you
2: forgot about Italian. Italian, night,
3: and, and then, oh, man, and then... Because
2: the oh. one thing you didn't mention was Vita
3: you, Oh, you've got to tell us. Yeah, yeah.
2: so Vida Consiglion uh, was Peter's mom, and she was the real chef. She um, came back, and after that first or second year, she started coming with them and really cooking, and she cooked all the oh, specialties. Oh, really? She came to summer camp and cooked? Oh, yeah. And well, she there's a picture of her in the kitchen you can and see it. it. But, but she and was, as, she, was, she was fantastic and, and she was, such a great person and everybody loved her in the kitchen. It just it worked really well. And then, but she's also an insanely talented seamstress. That's right. Who did she work for? She worked for Vera Wang. She did, she did all, all the patterns her pattern. for her uh, uh, wedding dresses.
3: Every everybody at mm-hmm. summer camp is insanely good at multiple things and are weird yeah the weirdness (laughs) factor the goodness factor they have big hearts it's it's unbelievable
1: yeah Um, i think that's such an important piece of it is that it really captures the full you know it's a full body experience like your heart and mind are both getting what it need. they need so you mentioned mark rosenbaum actually he was one of the people i spoke to before this episode he said talking about a favorite moment he said there was a young engineer who had rappelled down the Washington oh. Army after the earthquake about and how it was built and what was the construction. He says they went around and around, learning that there wasn't any steel reinforcing, there weren't shear walls, until finally an audience, audience member says, so it's just a pile of rocks then? And she thought for a minute <laughs> and says, yup, just yep, just a pile of rocks. is just a pile of rocks. Unbelievable. He also says just briefly here that um, what stands out to him Is how you two set the tone, the feeling, the gestalt of an open, open open-hearted sharing and generosity that shapes this community. So, you know, if we don't get to it later in this interview, just on behalf of everyone, right, we are all touched and grateful, and thank you.
3: You're you're very welcome. I, I, I I was taught early on that the more you give away, the more comes back to you. Yeah, it absolutely has. I, never not try to help, um, and, you know, people try to protect me now from everything, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, no, I, uh, you, you got a question, of course I'm going to talk to you, because I had all these questions when I was in my 20s and 30s and 40s, and all these legends would talk to me. I remember I would drive four or five hours get up at 4 in the morning, drive to Ottawa at the National Research Council Canada, to make it to the ten fifteen coffee break, so I could talk to the researcher. I do that twice a week. You say, ah, young Joseph is at coffee. Oh my <laughs> yes, goodness. I, I met the, the greatest fire people, the greatest water people, Uh, thermal structure, and they talk to me. Are you kidding? Of course I have to talk to people. That's the deal. It's
1: the deal. Yeah, we got to pass it forward, too. I mean, otherwise it gets lost. I'd like to just round out the history of summer camp. So it started in 96 or 97, 23, 24 years you've been doing it, and it's grown and grown. Was there ever a time where you two looked at each other and said, what the heck are we doing? Do, Do we stop or...? Is it just like you're just so sure it's what you want to do with your lives?
2: Well, Joe always wanted to do it, no matter what. We need to buy more things, make room for more people. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we can't possibly fit another person in. You know, we're filled to the gills. So there, every year there's just kind of a way to figure out um, how do we, you know, Make sure that everybody's comfortable, has a good time. Um, People that want to come can. And, you know, what's the best way to do that? But we've actually talked about the 25th year being the last year. Wow. So this would have been year 20, three, four,
1: four. Wow, I feel like I got a news scoop or something. That's intense. Yeah,
2: but Joe will probably change that right here and now.
1: I,
3: I'm I'm thinking thirty five years of summer camp as opposed to twenty five is... years of summer camp. I'm uh I'm 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 sixty five, I qualify for Medicare. I figure I got ten more years of this. Maybe five. <laughs> um part of the one of the things that we um we're limited, uh and we've been at maximum capacity I guess for the last five or six years. Is this the,
1: at the Westford Regency or at your home? Yeah,
3: yeah. No, we, we we put more people in our backyard, but always oh, it's, it's important that people that the educational experience, the presentations, um, everybody hears the same thing, and we're we're limited to you know five hundred people, and it's it's a comfortable five hundred. Um, you don't want to have people. Stacked vertically or whatever—that's just not just not right. And so, we've gotten real good at the sound and the vig- visuals and the presentations, and, and and so that it it really is a technical conference with in, insane networking, networking. And so, we don't want to change that. And if we started having multiple tracks. It, the magic is is lost, because I you know I, I want people to hear stuff that they would normally not hear about, and if, you know if, if they have well okay, I'd rather go listen to this because I'm interested in that, but making them hear everything, I get to mix, and and the other neat thing is that um, I I pick the speakers arbitrarily and capriciously. There is no committee. It's just are they interested or not? And a lot of the people I don't agree with. It's not the point. I want people to hear different points of view. And it drives me crazy. It was like why don't we the only want to hear what one no, that's the science is never settled. You don't prove science, you disprove science, and Jesus. So anyway, so I, I I have a lot of fun. We had a real interesting mix lined up for this year, but it couldn't go. The uh, opening presenter uh, was a one of the few people that was a doctor and an architect both dealing with moisture and health issues uh, in... Uh, and, and she's become a famous person uh, with the last couple of months and so she says I don't think you're having the event <laughs> I said well we have 500 people and I don't think it'll work <laughs> but yeah I, we. So, so will she come back next events. year hopefully and hopefully hope we so. all will <laughs> I, yeah I, I, I think,
2: I... well we have Miguel's acoustic jazz country cafe ready now we tore down all the test bays we've got the burlap on the acoustics are fabulous we have a carpet out there we were ready for you
0: yeah wes and i were really looking forward to that this year
3: well the biggest the most uh the happiest bunch who are happy about summer camp not happening this year is the log. In the back Yeah,
1: the grass. <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah, and the mosquitoes, they're, they're not going to feast on us. Yeah. Well, so, mentioning music reminds me, um, y- you know, we all have Kimberly Llewellyn to thank actually for this because I had the idea and I was kind of like on the fence, frankly, to, pr- to propose it to you guys, not sure if what you'd think, if it would be a hassle. And I called her up and she said, oh, absolutely, it would be great. And I know she's missing the music. Um, she's missing yeah. you guys. Um, so that reminds me of just kind of women in building science like you mentioned quite a few names there Timisk and Handigord and a bunch of men has there ever been like an overt like uh, um, gesture from you guys like let's put some women on this stage and let's make sure we're inviting more women or how's that talk to me about that
3: yeah we've uh, we've gone out of our way to to, to try to uh, be inclusive um, but it's not a we don't have a um, quota but we do we do invite people because they happen to be really freaking smart and interested, and and we the the two things that we've been trying to do is get way more younger people in hmm. because old people are going to die, <laughs> and we want and we want we want a huge mix, and I mean and so you know. Young young women, young everybody, we need them. And we're, and we're running out of the skill set for people that know stuff. Betsy and I go out of our way, try to invite these people
1: to... to, to have broader representation. you have any comments there,
2: Betsy? Well, I, I will say that at one point in time, people did say, you know, you really don't have enough women speaking. And so I can think of some of the really uh, famous and really well-read building science women that have spoken, uh, Teresa Weston, uh, Helen Hardy-Pierce, um, We've got uh, Katrin Klingenberg. We've had uh, Chris Benedict.
1: Yeah, don't worry, oh. you're going to bound to forget some, but I didn't I'm going to
2: forget some. some but um, but anyway, I think that that's you know we. It's, it's important, important because, because women, women aren't as pushy about maybe wanting to speak, so you have to kind of find them. Yeah. And I suppose there's other. Ways we can expand too.
0: No. Yeah, and yeah, I remember Chris Benedict and Christine did that play a couple of years ago if That's I remember right. Right. That was Three that was a lot ago. of fun. Yep. Yeah, uh-huh. great
1: Yeah, um, just very briefly and then I want to get your favorite moments and then we'll, we'll wrap up here But so it occurs to me Betsy that the day you met Joe You might very well have been the only woman in that room or in that crowd. I mean just generally you're
2: actually I was one of three. Oh, okay. Um, when I went to his class, the other two women worked for me at the state.
1: No. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you, you were a pioneer in some sense. Um, mm-hmm. how, did you, were, how did you? Uh, there, up were, there,
3: work? there were there were fifty people in the room, and um, what maybe a, a dozen architects and three women.
2: Mark Rosenbaum was there, by the way. Yeah. I was, oh, really,
3: that was the I was that was the day I met Mark Rosenbaum. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He said in the front row, just like he does at summer camp, by the way, and asked really hard questions.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a really great listener. So
2: he's a great great front row person.
1: Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, I actually asked Allison about Allison Bales, Energy Vanguard, if he had any favorite moments. And uh, he had several. So two I'll highlight. One, he talked about Henry Gifford's presentation. Do you guys have any comments on Henry Gifford's presentation in 2012? Apparently he received a a rare standing ovation.
3: Henry is a special man. And, uh, I don't think people, uh, appreciate him in the way that he should be appreciated. And it was, it it was, it was unbelievable. Um, the only other person that's ever received a standing ovation was, uh, who's our mold crazy guy from, uh, Minnesota.
2: Mac Pierce? Mac Mac Pierce.
3: Mac Pierce. Pierce And, and, you know, Henry Gifford and Mac Pierce uh, were two legendary legendary presentations. Both got standing (laughs) (laughs) locations. One of Mac's responses to his question was kind of nodded and he says, yeah, you probably could get a blindfolded epileptic to to cross Niagara Falls on a high wire without a net. But it (laughs) wouldn't be a good
1: idea.
3: I don't think your idea is a good idea.
1: Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Mac and Henry both, man, smart and wholehearted and... (sighs) And then the other one he mentions is your crawl space. Um, there's a tradition of you grabbing a few people and a few bottles of wine and going into your crawl space. I imagine that hasn't always been a tradition. Do you know, how did that start? I needed, to, <laughs> I needed to get away.
3: And I was like, oh my God, I uh, needed to take a deep breath. And so that's where, we, that's where I stashed my wine and I said, oh man, I need to have a drink. And so... I went downstairs and opened a bottle of wine, and, you know, somebody saw me, and, oh, let me grab a glass, and, you know, suddenly there are five, six people, and now we have 20 or 30, and it just, people just sort of show up. It's on, you know, on, on Monday night, and then I, you know, breakfast on Sunday morning, I was just, I just wanted to cook the Texans a bit of a breakfast simply because they were so spectacular with the barbecue and whatever. And so I started doing um, my mom's recipe for pancakes and, and that has grown out of control. You know, wow. I got 75 people for breakfast Betsy does, you know, omelets. I do pancakes and, you know, mimosas mm-hmm. and champagne. Mm-hmm. And again, it all these little, things that just sort of okay why not and uh the the best new tradition started last year which is the the jazz cafe yeah
1: yeah at uh, that was like unbelievable Yeah, completely different ambiance yeah and wonderful wonderfully so yeah.
0: oh, i was just gonna say it's it's it was so fun just to be able to sit out there and i think wes and i we added it up and we would essentially eat and then sit there and play from seven until 11 or midnight, depending on the night. and Our fingers would be all shredded from the acoustic guitar, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally worth it. I think we played every song we know uh, over the course of those
1: several days.
2: You and Bobby McGee.
1: That's right. <laughs> okay. Just checking. Some beautiful songs. Yeah. I mean, it occurred <laughs> to me, you guys that you might not experience it, Betsy or Joe, but really your personality, your Value preference system of what's meaningful to you. What's important to you that has absolutely shaped summer camp And it is it it is what it is because of that and because of all the amazing people uh, That you attract so Betsy uh, independent of the crawl space um, Is there something that stands out to you a moment of summer camp a favorite memory? Difficult memory. I don't know anything that stands out.
2: I think my favorite moments are being able to Um, play and sing and dance together and we've done it in the barn and everybody gets into it together. And that's really my favorite moments. There's been some tense moments that I don't want to relive probably, Mm -hmm. but um, generally speaking, I love the, um, I love the fact that I get to be with so many lovely, interesting, wonderful people who have very interesting views on the world. They're teaching me things. They're, they're willing to listen to me if I wanna be heard. And uh, we share creativity and learning together. That's my favorite part.
1: Awesome. How about you, Joe? Same question, anything that stands out for you? Any memories? Well, my, or-
3: well, my favorite part is
1: Monday around eight o'clock
3: after dinner's been served, if nothing bad happens during the first day of presentations and we make it through first two courses of dinner, the rest is a breeze. And then I was like, so, you know, you see a big smile on my face around eight o'clock on Monday night. I'm a happy, I'm a happy guy. My fondest uh, memories are uh, the earliest, early summer camps when we got, you know, Handigord to bear his soul. We got, um, um, Don Gatley to tell us about little insights in mechanical engineering systems and then you know the unbelievable stuff from Mark Baumberg. Mark would start talking and he nobody has a clue about what he's saying and then all of a sudden this aha moment jumps up. And so my favorite moments have been you know the legends doing their presentations I mean, I you know, Don I missed Esco, he passed away, but yeah, he did this this spectacular presentation on on on, on Wood. Then uh, we you know Hartwig Kunzel from Lahar, are you kidding me? The father of Woofy and smart membranes comes how many Germans do you know that have a sense of a sense of humor? Unbelievable, <laughs> and and being that that freaking smart. So my my memories are the presentations of, of some of the giants. Do you have any idea how good Straub is in presenting? Oh. He's done summer camp what four times? And three or four. Three or five. It's un unbelievable. So my. I mean, I, I know the, the music is spectacular. The food is spectacular. I just remember the legends of the past and the legends of the present and the legends of the future presenting. It's just, it's unbelievable.
0: I was going to just say that, you know, the <clears throat> Christoph and I are, are two of the group of co-founders of the Humid Climate Conference here in Austin that we do every other year, and there has been no larger role model for how we approach the the way we think about that conference than you guys. So, I mean, your, your impact goes beyond just the, the daily lives of the folks who attend. I mean, it's, it's spurred other conferences uh, too, and it's amazing to see uh, the
1: ripple effect. Well, thank you for thank those you. kind, kind words.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. The single track, uh, I'm a strong proponent for it. I, I, I know that financially and in terms of more information flow, it's better to split it up. But there's just something about creating community that's so much more impactful when it's a single track.
2: No, I was just going to say your conference did very well in that way. So we had a the, the I think I came the second year maybe. Yeah. But yeah, that was really nice because we got to talk to everybody. Great exhibitors met the student award winners. Of, oh yeah. Uh, the Passive House winners, they were fabulous. So it was, it was much the same to me,
1: so. Yeah, I agree. There's something like this, this idea of an intelligent human. Like, so we treat, seem to treat conferences like it's all about the intellect and the intelligence side. And you guys maybe lucked into it or brilliant into it of just, no, when you really connect the intelligence with the human um, the connected, frankly, the emotional side, the family, the feeling of community, but this is not related to that, but you, Joe, you, once, you talked about making mistakes very early on in this. And I remember um, laughing so hard at one of your seminars that people were staring at me and I, I was just like losing it because you were talking about um, insulating uh, foam foundation, foam insulated foundation, and he started pouring the concrete in and the chunks of foam started floating up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't imagine that. Yeah. I,
3: I, it was, it was, oh, man, I'd laugh my ass off now. But when it was happening, are you kidding? I was like, you know, and, and the, the owner says, is, is, you, know, you, you planned this, right? <laughs>
1: Oh my god. I never yeah. actually heard like what happened? Did the concrete harden and you had to chip it up jackhammer it all? Around? Well no, we, we we
3: threw a whole bunch of reinforcing mesh that we hadn't used ah. on the top and got these rocks and like literally got water. the got the guys to pour the concrete rocks to hold it down and and and, and then you know <laughs> some of the rocks were above and and we had to come and chip it away and then cast a, a, a topping stab. I, I, I mean, only a crazy person would do something that stupid. And yeah. I qualified on, on all of that. <laughs> That's really great. Oh, man. Yeah. So people ask me, is that why you refuse to put ducks in slabs? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 excellent day,
2: reason to this
3: day i can't i have, to have therapy
1: I, 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 you know, I, i'm not gonna work on this I'm not gonna do this <laughs> yeah Uh-oh. well i'm really glad we we have this interview i did not appreciate the indoor air quality roots and connection huh. it's yeah. like you mentioned the, the mold betsy very early yeah. on that yeah yeah, because that's definitely coming back. I mean, oh, it, yeah, it seems like we got kind of a little fascinated by the lure of technical specs and like mm-hmm. perm ratings. My goodness. We've talked about ratings way too much. Well, my, uh, say something, Joe, I see it. My, my,
3: my background uh, was dealing with carbon monoxide poisoning. And oh, wow. What would happen was and I was a story for another podcast. I lost my job as director of research for the Canadian Home Builders Association because I said if we cocked and weather-strapped these houses, people are going to die from carbon monoxide poisoning. And I lost my job the week my daughter was born.
1: Oh, my goodness.
3: And, and uh, people, it happened. And so we figured out testing procedures, years, spillage and proactive testing, and all of that came out in 1982, 1983 hmm. uh, with carbon monoxide that got me into pressures. That's how I met John Tooley and, and oh, Neil okay. Moyer. We were, I was poor, living in mom's basement, divorced, driving a rusted out Ford Tempo,
2: oh and my I, couldn't a, I couldn't afford a, afford a hotel, room. hotel room,
3: and Dennis Creech crazy. invites me to speak with John Tooley. I was a Tooley guy. Well, Thule was broke too. He drove a rusted up van from, our, from, from Cocoa Beach, and I drove down from Toronto. We, neither one of us could afford a hotel room, so we're sleeping at South Face's parking lot. And we meet each other in the morning when both of us get up and are peeing in, in the bush. And so I'm looking at, i looking at Thule, he's looking at me and some of the two biggest speakers for Creech's presentation are a bunch of poor guys. And wow. Thule was a, a legend in pressures and, and whatever. And so is Moyer. And,
1: and that all started from air quality. Wow. Yeah. Good for Dennis Creech with South Bay, <laughs> recognizing talent. So I'm meaning to ask, has summer camp always been the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of August, or was just did you shift it to that at some point? Well, it's always been the
3: we want the first couple of days, uh, the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of, of, of August. Sometimes it's you know July 31st or you know ah, okay. July 28th, but it's always that first week, last weekend in July first couple of days of August it's always been that time.
1: Got it and has it always been at the Westford Regency?
3: Always been at the Westford Regency. <laughs> the, the, the size of the room has grown.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> we, we had a small room first year and we year two they put us up into the uh, ADC auditorium and that lasted two years. <laughs> we started Taking over the ballroom. So it's always and been- at the always 500 been. limit is, is the occupancy limit. Yeah, it can't any more than that and the fire chief comes in and gets upset with you.
1: Yeah, wow. Well, what, a, what an institution you've created. And uh, you know, I, it, it was news to me to hear that there is talk of it ending. Um, that's big news, but uh, not right now. It's not gonna happen right now, but it will make it that much more poignant when we get together again when these little little critters let us get together on the other side of COVID. Um, so I want to thank you both so much for your time, for your heart, for all that you've given to the industry and um, to us as people, not just as, you know, other participants in your industry. Uh, <laughs> personally, you've been, you've been generous and warm and kind, and I've learned a ton uh, about being with my intellect and being with my humanness from both of you.
3: Well, again, thank you so much for the, the the kind words. The
1: more you give away, the more comes back to you. Yeah. There's some profound words. Yeah. We think it's all about us, but it's really about others. Yeah. But Betsy, thank you. Any uh, final hellos, goodbyes?
2: No, but it sure has been nice working with uh, positive energy and all of you since we've met you and, um you always have positive energy to bring so <laughs> i appreciate that Well, oh,
1: thank you so much thank you guys both so much and uh heart, sad to bring this one to an end but thank you all for listening we'll talk to you next time
0: And if you were wondering what the Jazz Country Acoustic Cafe sounds like, here's a little taste.
4: Got an old set of keys, don't unlock like nothing She said there was the last of the peaches this year, Cooked on Stove with cinnamon and honey We've been working so hard making no money We stay together under the big Outlast, the heat of the summer, the beaches and the creek.